the podcast about big data and data management in the cloud, and I'm your host, Mark Ripman. So we joined on the show this episode by someone I've been looking to have come on the show for quite some time now, Jordan Tigani, Engineering Director responsible for Google BigQuery, who comes to us more or less direct from Google Cloud Next 19 last week, which is Google Cloud's big customer event that runs each year at the Moscone in San Francisco. So welcome to the show, Jordan, and thanks for making time to speak to us. Uh, thanks for, very much for having me on. Excellent. So, Jordan, um, so just to explain, just, just introduce yourself really to the audience and um, and tell us what, which kind of products you look after. And uh, obviously, that will explain why I'm so interested. Sure. Um, so I'm actually the product management director for BigQuery. Um, I was engineering director and I've, I've recently uh, recently moved over to the uh, to the dark side. But uh, I was one of the first engineers on BigQuery. Uh, I was one of the people that kind of sat around and was trying to decide what you know what this thing is we were going to going to build and uh, and you know what we came up with was was BigQuery and I've sort of been been um, you know part of sort of riding this this rocket ship uh, for for the last I guess eight eight years now so um, I kind of know where a lot of the you know the skeletons are hidden in the in the code and um, at least I I, I know mo I know most of them uh, but uh, um, also you know now looking into you know how do we how do we make this thing continue to grow and how do we you know build it into this sort of great data warehouse of the future? Fantastic. Um, so my introduction to BigQuery um, came through uh, through the work I was doing in the previous role when I was in the part of the engineering team at uh, Qubit, who are a Google Cloud uh, partner, and I we, we were using BigQuery there to store you know petabytes of uh, of consumer level data, you know, behavioral data, and then use it to drive personalizations and, and segmentation and so on. And I was blown away by what a fantastic product it was. And ever since then, you know, BigQuery has been my, I suppose, my database of choice. So it's, it's great to have you on the show, really. Um, so what was your route into Google? How did you end up kind of doing what you're doing, really? Um, you know, so I started out as, a, you know, uh, an engineer before Google had a cloud. And, um, you know, I, I got into I worked at a bunch of startups, and uh, and I uh, I never wanted to work at a big company again, and um, and I ended up interviewing at Google just to practice. But I had some friends that were here, and I, just when I came into Google, uh, there was a, there was an energy about the place that, uh, and also I loved that it was a bottom up kind of place where individual engineers with ideas could make things happen, and that's sort of how BigQuery came about. Like our site director had asked us to build something entirely different. He'd asked us to build a a data marketplace actually. And so we kind of, several of us engineers kind of were, you know, just sitting around a, uh, the, the, the original tech leads uh, dining room table and trying to figure out how we were gonna build a data marketplace. And we and Google didn't have a cloud. So there was sort of, um, you know, we, we realized that for a data marketplace to work for large data sets, um, you can't, you don't wanna move the data to the compute. You don't wanna just download your data you want to actually move the compute to the data. You want to have something you can do over the data in place, um, so that you can solve your, you know, your analytics problems or whatever the problem is you want to use the, the data for. And um, and so we had this great internal tool called Dremel that would sort of, you know, uh, operate over things sort of magically fast. And we're like, okay, well, we can tie these two things together. We can we can expose Dremel in the cloud, and um, and then we'll get around to doing the data marketplace. Um, and so I guess eight years later, it's sort of the data marketplace has always been like two quarters out um, for the last for the last eight years. Maybe someday it'll maybe someday it'll happen. But I think it was just one of those cool cool things where like you know 
you know, as engineers, we were empowered to build what we, you know, what we thought was the the right thing to build, and um, and nobody, you know, nobody stopped us. Um, so it was, it's been an exciting, exciting ride and exciting, you know, to be, to be a part of something that, you know, now is, is much larger and much, much more different. It used to be in the early days, um, if, if Big Cray went down over the weekend, um, you know, we got a page be like, eh, I'll deal with that on Monday. Nobody will notice like chances are, um, you know, nowadays we have, um, you know, our S our internal SLOs are, you know, I think three three minutes per month of partial downtime. And, you know, that doesn't give you a whole lot of time to, uh, <laughs> to, to ignore, ignore a page. I mean, luckily we have a really awesome SRE team that, that helps us, uh, you know, maintain that SLA, but um, just the, the ways people are using it are, are different. People are building their businesses around it. And it's, um, it's, you know, it's kind of, kind of an honor, but it's also scary that, uh, you know, wow, something, if we, if we mess up, then, you know, people, yeah. people's businesses stop working. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, there's a lot in, there's a lot in that um, intro from you there. Obviously there's Dremel, which I think would be great to talk about. There's, mm-hmm. I suppose that the, you know, the data marketplace and what that means in terms of how you deliver the service, you know, the underlying kind of data structures and data service there and so on. And, you know, and, and like you say, you know, this is now powering businesses. I mean, certainly looking at, at Qubit, for example, it, it certainly was powering Qubit's business and therefore powering a lot of e-commerce businesses that are relying on Qubit to do, you know, the personalizations and the, you know, conversion optimization and so on. And it is, you know, but certainly my time we working with it was, there was never a problem with, with BigQuery. It was, it was, you know, cert- certainly, you know, we had to, optimize our spend and we had to optimize the queries and so on but the actual kind of underlying service was fantastic um so what about so tell, i mean talk, i mean how how are you involved in in dremel was dremel already there when you when you arrived or and and what was the kind of what problem was dremel solving back in time as well so uh, you know i think dremel was kind of a uh seminal um you know tool at at at, at google um it sort of grew to you know i think 80% of the company was using Dremel, you know, any 80% of the company was one of the monthly active users for, for Dremel. Uh, most of it was indirect usage, but, you know, it was still, you know, uh, n- necessary for how, how Google, how Google ran and how Google was able to be a data driven company. Um, despite having, you know, I guess we have eight products now with over a billion users and that just generates, that just generates lots of data. But at the, at the start, Dremel was created by, um, an engineer, um, uh, and I, I always get his name wrong, so I should, I should double check with him. It's Andre, Andre Gubarov. And, um, he, uh, he kind of created it while he was waiting for, for map producers, his map producers to finish. So he was in the ads team and his map producers were taking a long time. And he realized that there's like these data structures that are used at Google that are very wide. So they have lots and lots of columns. And he only needed a few of those columns, but the normal MapReduce would have to, you know, would have to scan, you know, read the whole, read the whole thing. And so, you know, first step is, you know, the column stores were, you know, starting to become popular at the time. And so he's like, first step, I'll build a column store. Second step, you know, build, uh, you know, a SQL engine. And then he got an intern and the intern was sort of helping him and they made it distribute. And sort of the kind of some of the cool things about Dremel was, you know, it built this this tree structure for your, for your, for your queries. And, um, and you could sort of think of it as like, you know, databases in general, you know, kind of rely on, 
you know, this in-disk, uh, on-disk data structure called uh, a B tree or B plus tree. And um, it was almost sort of like kind of a, a, uh, a computational version of a, of a, of a B tree. So, it, so you have like, you have, you know, a, um, at the root, you have each individual, each individual leaf and each individual leaf is, is responsible for a small portion of the, the data. And then as you go further up, as you go up this tree, it's sort of higher levels of aggregations. Um, so the initial version of Dremel was this static tree of, uh, you know, I had root mixers, um, uh, mixer ones, and then you had the, the shards. And it was extremely fast at doing um, scan filter aggregate queries, and the, which is kind of what it was, what it was designed for. And the problem is, you know, if you want to do queries that are that are more complex, you want to do queries that have lots of, you know, subqueries or stages or joins. You need to do multiple passes in this tree. And it's um, if you think about it, it's a little bit similar to, you know, when MapReduce was first created. MapReduce, um, you know, allows you to take your um, take some very fairly simple problems, um, but apply them over a very large data sets. So you can you can you can change things into a map stage and reduce stage. Um, and so for, for Dremel, it was sort of like there's a uh, scan and an aggregate stage, um, which are which are really kind of kind of similar. Um, but then you know just like Hadoop, it turns out that like most interesting problems you want to solve actually involve multiple of these stages, multiples multiple passes. And you know the original MapReduce didn't have didn't have a way to kind of to chain those together. And so you know there's things like um, you know, at Google, we, uh, it was it's called Flume. Externally, it's called Dataflow yeah. um, or Apache Beam. Apache Flink um, also kind of lets you solve some of the same problems of kind of taking your MapReduces and chaining chaining them together in a convenient way. And so Dremel, you know, is still using SQL, but so Dremel made a major architectural change about six years ago, which is which went from kind of the static tree to a dynamic tree. So um, you know, when you start your query, we could sort of we build up we build up this tree, and um, as you know, with with aggregations and shuffles uh, at each at each phase. And I think one of the kind of one of the kind of unique things about it is it's not just a dynamic tree that you know that gets created at the start of the query. It's a dynamic tree that actually will change its topology depending on how the query is running. So, for example, um, certain types of certain types of joins. Let's say you're joining against a small table, a small amount of data, which is pretty common in kind of data warehousing scenarios. You have a small dimension table and you have your large fact table. Um, so, if you're joining against a small uh, small dimension table, um, you know rather than you know the kind of the expensive way of doing a join is basically you co you want to co-locate um, the the keys that are going to match up together because you have to find if you're joining on a key like uh, customer ID every customer ID that is that is like three you have to put those in the same place because you have to you have to to be able to match them in the between those two tables so the 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 expensive way to do this is you basically you shuffle you shuffle the data on both sides and then you have a worker you know workers work on you know ranges of the key space um, but a much faster way of doing that if the one is small is basically you just we call it a broadcast join. You just take you take the the small side and you broadcast it to every single node. Um, and the thing is, you don't know whether it's going to be large or small 
ahead of time. So you know we have to make these dynamic and dynamic interpretations based on how much how much data, how the query is run, and the cardinality, uh, etc. Um, and uh, and then we can sort of you know rapidly rapidly make those changes. Sort of the other op option for for that is sort of the the kind of cost-based optimizer and the cost-based optimizer is you say like you have all this information about the query and how you think it's going to run and you make a you make a decision ahead of time the problem is if you make the wrong decision it's super expensive and like so you have optimizers they sort of like well it optimized this way and um and one of the things that we do in in dremel and bigquery is we try to like kind of just dynamically figure out what the optimal query plan is so, so I mean, this is I mean, this is probably many, many, quite a few years ago now that you were looking, you know, you're working on Dremel and, and making these decisions, and there were there were quite a few kind of, I suppose, uh, potential solutions to you know, running SQL on Hadoop at the time at a kind of interactive speed. You know, there was Tez, there was there was Drill, and so on. You know, did did you make your decisions in in the knowledge? I mean, I know a lot of them came after uh, Dremel or were based on that, but but you know, presumably you didn't go down those routes. You went down this route. What what was you kind of thinking around that? Um, you know, it was sort of interesting, like. I guess it's one of the the cool things about Google. Um, you may you may some people think it's cool, some people think it's inefficient. But you know, at Google there were a number of SQL query engines to query over large large data sets that turned into MapReduces. There was Tatra, Tenzig, um, PowerDrill. Um, there was just all these different, you know, as F1 Query. Uh, there's all these different engines, and and so you kind of, it was hard to choose about which one, you know, which one of these is going to win. And, um, you know, and I think one of the nice things about, about Google is by, by sort of letting a lot of these, these different ideas, you know, flower, you know, one of them does win. So you do have, you do have competition. They, they each sort of push each other to be, to be better, faster, more, more efficient because otherwise, you know, because you're competing for this internal, internal talent. Um, so, you know, sometimes it's, you know, it does seem like Google can be kind of cloistered or sort of not invented here. Um, and at other places, when you have that, you know, often what people come up with is sort of a non, you know, non-optimal because it hasn't really had to compete against anything. You know, if you're at a big company where like they say, this is, you know, we're going to build X and this is going to be the X that we build. Um, until you kind of get that into the, into the market and other people are using it, you're kind of in a in a space where you're not, you're not competing. So like these other, you know, so the, the, I don't remember the, the reason that we, that we chose this. I think it was, there was a lot of momentum behind, behind Dremel at this point. And it was, um, it seemed like the thing that was going to, it was going to succeed, but you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a foregone conclusion. And then I think, you know, drill started, um, you know, basically just started breaking ground uh, right after, we right after we started i think about a, a about a year later and i think we started you know thinking about okay should we should we work with these folks and um and they kind of went off in a slightly different direction but um you know i think it was uh you know we we decided to kind of keep them at um at arm's length a little bit and and just you know for you know for focus purposes just we had a lot of other stuff that we were trying to trying to work on Okay, so so I mean, there's I mean, apart from I suppose the technology, the, the sort of general technology and so on. That we, when you look at BigQuery, then, then there's some kind of fairly 
fairly kind of big decisions you took there. Um, that to, to me, when I came into this, when I came into this industry from working with more traditional, I suppose, on-premises data warehouses and Hadoop clusters and so on, um, were were you know I wouldn't have thought of them at the time, but but they were massively important as to why people were adopting them. So things like the, the fully managed part, taking that for example, you know how how what what made you go down the route of it being a fully managed service? Um, and, and um, you know, what, what led to that and what was your thinking behind that, really? Um, you know, perhaps surprisingly, but it was there was almost no thinking of, behind it because just at, at Google, it was like, this is how you this is how you build services. We didn't, you know, serverless serverless wasn't a term yet. Fully managed wasn't a, ter- this wasn't a term yet. It's like, OK, well, if we're going to build a service, we want we want to make it just so that, like, you know, you don't have, you know, people shouldn't have to manage infrastructure because you know, at, at Google, when you build services, nobody, you know, generally nobody manages infrastructure. And so, you know, that step was, at the time, it was, it was obvious. Um, and I think some of the, there are some other interesting corollaries or related things to that, that, that weren't quite as obvious. One of those is, I think, uh, one of the key things in BigQuery is all of the data is in one namespace. So um, if I have a data set, and I think you might think it's interesting. I can share that data set with you, and you can join that with your with your data. And partly that comes from like our idea of you know eventually building a data marketplace. Is that you know eventually build a data marketplace? You want to have one name for something, but also it becomes really powerful. Just you know as you know we have customers who you know they you know they they aggregate analytics data from you know from their users and they show them dashboards. But then some of their advanced users they want to actually give them direct access to the data. So they can just share the BigQuery yeah. data set with them. And then that company can then go and and uh, and query it themselves. Yeah, I mean, we used to do that in my old, in my old role. We would exactly do that. We would we would provide either aggregations, dashboards, or, or we would give them access to the data. They could then access that from their projects and, and it was completely sort of seamless, really. So, and, and certainly that, that the fully managed part, you know, it, it's, it doesn't seem that important to you when you when you don't have benefit of that. It, it, but when you do realize that it means that you can kind of auto scale it, it means you can just run things on there and it just works. That that means you can focus then on innovation and the analytics and, and all that kind of stuff, really. Um, so that was, you said serverless there as well. And I think serverless, again, was a new concept that I, I, I encountered when I first came across BigQuery. So maybe just explain what that means in the context of a data yeah, warehouse. Yeah, sure. So, you know, a lot of data warehouses... Um, you know, you you know, even cloud ones. In order to in order to run it, you need to spin up a server or you spin up an instance, um, even if it's just a virtual instance. But you know, you often can like trace that back to it's running on this virtual machine somewhere. And and BigQuery is um, it's a multi-tenant, this sort of giant. We have hundreds of thousands of nodes, um, and you know, your queries get sort of multiplexed across those hundreds of thousands of nodes, um, and uh, and so, you know, we have, you know, some nice, nice advantages of scale, but nobody has to worry about instances. And if, and if any of those, in, and if the, any of those underlying instances fail, you know, nobody notices. In fact, you know, if I looked at the, at our Borg page right now, probably there'd be a dozen, um, in, you know, in any particular cell that were, that were down, they were restarting and queries that were using that, you know, would have maybe a, 100 millisecond glitch uh, and that's the only that's the only you know difference that they would that they would that they would experience um, and you know we can even we even do things like you know we have you know bigquery runs uh, we have kind of data in multiple availability zones 
So in one of the zones, if there's a, you know, a stuck tablet or a, um, uh, you know, a network, network switches down or, you know, one of the other just things that can, that can go wrong in, uh, in running a, a large scale service, you know, we will drain that and we will basically move everybody out into, into their backup cells. And, you know, we do this probably, I don't know, a few times a week. And there's no there's no downtime. It just sort of magically magically happens, and that's the kind of thing you can do when you're when you're serverless. You're not actually relying on on individual individual VMs. And you know, again, this is just sort of like that's how how stuff gets built in general at Google. And so we didn't even think we didn't think there's anything special about it when we did it. It's just like okay, this is just what you do. And sort of like now in retrospect, like oh, I guess other people made different design mm-hmm. choices. So, so when I first used BigQuery again, looking at it, looking back, it was it was a fantastic service, but you you definitely you definitely noticed when it wasn't a relational mm-hmm. database, and 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 so like joins. But you know, my first my first kind of crashing kind of um, sort of uh, encounter with reality with BigQuery was when I tried to join two big tables together, and I suddenly then realised that you know joins weren't free <laughs> effectively on a BigQuery, but. You know, but it's come along a lot since then, and and maybe just tell us a little bit about why there was that, I suppose, impotence mismatch at the start, and and how the product has evolved to be to be, I suppose, functionally more like a regular data warehouse now. Sure. Is so it, I th- yeah. I think that um, you know, originally we had uh, you know, it it all just sort of stems from from Dremel and 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 logs processing yeah. at Google and logs analysis is basically at Google we had these giant denormalized protobuffer logs that everybody operated on. And so one of the key features of Dremel was it was ability to use kind of nested and repeated data to use to use arrays, because that's just sort of how how data was. And so you basically was designed so you can do a single scan over it and, uh, and get your get your query results. So joins were very rare. In fact, um, when we were building BigQuery, we, you know, actually, some of the BigQuery engineers implemented joins in Dremel, because um, because they they didn't exist, you know. A couple a year a year later, I guess in 2012, the two teams merged, and so we've been the same the same team uh, ever since. But um, you know, but so one of the things we realized, and this was several years ago that we realized, is that like, is that you know, customers have a different you know external customers have different expectations than yeah. um than internal googlers so you know what the first thing we did was you know we switched to um to standard sql to ansi standard sql so we built a um a new ansi standard sql query engine that was um you know that uh you know we, we adhered to the the standard as much as possible with, with some additional um additions to it like like nesting and and, and arrays um and then also we've worked really hard on on joins and um, you know our our join performance has um, has gone you know I think gone up I think is like seven x in the last in the last year and a half um, you know by looking at you know some TPC benchmarks but just all you know a- after realizing that data warehousing workloads are generally are, are very join heavy you know people have their star schemas their fact and dimension tables their their third normal form um, and you need we need to be able to do those well if we want to. If we want to be competitive, so we've been sort of, you know, heads down, working on sort of making making BigQuery into a into a into a, into a fully featured data warehouse. You know, I think DML came a little bit later, so being able to do to do updates and deletes, um, and you know, because that's also very very important to uh, to to data warehousing. 
So those sort of things, do you, I mean, I was, whenever I remember speaking to Dan McClary about this back in time, you know, and, and talking about joins and so on, I was just to wonder, uh, you know, in a way, are we using the product in the wrong way when we do that? You know, you, you talk about, I suppose, meeting customers with their demands mm-hmm. and, and what they want to do. But fundamentally, you know, is it still the case that a, a big wide table is, is better than ones with joins? It, you know, is there still a better way to kind of work with BigQuery? So fundamentally, what we, what we tell people now is, you know, use the data... Um, the data structures that are most natural for you. Like, so um, if what is natural is, is a denormalized star schema, use the denormalized star schema. If what's natural is sort of normalizing into everything and using nesting and repeating, because um, sometimes that is more natural. Like one, one case where that can be more natural is like um, orders and line items. So, you know, often that's represented as two separate tables and you have to do a join. There's a one-to-many relationship. But really, an order is one thing. And so if you can nest the line items within the orders, then like then you're going to have a more a more compact a more compact data model. But in general, like if you you know use what you're comfortable with and and if you need like and then tune it uh, as as needed. I mean, it's sort of like you know the old saw that like you know premature performance optimization is the root of all bugs or whatever like don't don't prematurely optimize and think you have to denormalize because you know normalized uh normalized queries and and join heavy queries are are often quite fast if there's but that said if if this is something that's really important to make this run fast then hey maybe maybe doing a uh, maybe denormalizing a little bit or uh or using nesting uh and and arrays can uh can make it even faster so how tempted have you been in the past to add indexes then to BigQuery? You know, it's funny. It just, it just came up like uh, half an hour ago. I was talking to one of the eng managers. And it's like, where we could add indexes. Um, one of the like kind of important things is, is just, is we don't want to, we don't want you to need to have somebody whose, whose full-time job is like to tune it, to tune BigQuery for the types of queries that they're running. Like, you know, some of, we talk to customers and they're like, um, like we had, uh, we talked. I talked to one customer last week who said, um, "We have a full-time person whose job is to like is to manage the workload management in their on-prem data warehouse. Like, it's not even to manage the schemas; they just manage like the jobs that are running and that are running faster and slower. And like, um, you know, we don't want you to need those those types of people. Um, we don't want to put anybody out of a job. We also want them those people to be working on something that's more rewarding to them, um, and than having to sort of babysit things. And so like. Kind of the, the the idea is, you know, no ops, you shouldn't need to be a DBA, but we do run into things where like, okay, well, you know, primary keys, like if we could apply a uniqueness constraint here, we could apply all these, please, please <laughs> <primary> keys. <laughs> we could apply all these, uh, all these optimizations. And so, you know, there is some tendency to, to do some of those types of things, but we try to make sure we do it in a, um, in a principled way that is like, is saying, okay, we're going to get all this this value and um but also make sure that it's not something that people need like we don't want people to you, we don't want you to have to use a primary key here but hey you know if you want to signal to us that like there's this key relationship or that you know uh to optimize these joins you can create this key relationship then you know maybe maybe we, maybe we will add those but um you know then again maybe we won't i always say the day you add indexes is the day that you can <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I think it's it's it'd be so. T- I mean, it's an interesting thing about product management, isn't it? You know how much you follow. I mean, you must have every you know so many customers saying to you, you know, add indexes and mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. Um, so that you know, they give very good cases to why you know you're doing a single row lookup and so on there. But you you know it is the thin end of the wedge, and you will end up with a whole industry of people uh, who are then become tuning experts at BigQuery. And and the nice thing about it is it, is it right. just works. Um, so uh, yeah, I always look out for that being the sort of sign of the apocalypse, really. When you guys add uh, when you add, add indexes to that, I mean, so what about migrations from uh, platforms like say Oracle, you know, Teradata, and Teaser? I mean, are you finding? I mean, presumably you, you've had some of those happen, but but what's the driver behind those, and how have those migrations gone, and what have the benefits been? So I mean, I think there's a there's a clear move that you know from from on-prem to cloud, mm. and you know a lot of the a lot of the on-prem players are um, they're you know they're losing market share and they're losing a little bit of relevance um, to to sort of the, the the folks in the cloud and I think we've been uh, we've been a beneficiary of this of this process and you know we've also you know we've, we have um, we have tooling that will let you you know migrate from I think we have a we have a Teradata to bigquery uh, migration service we have um, redshift to bigquery migration service um, you know other stuff in the pipeline. We have other data integration tools. We bought um, a company called Cask, uh, and we just released that as as Data Fusion, um, so that you can create data pipelines. Um, you know, Google's also bought, purchased Aluma. Um, so we have a our story right now is a little bit, you know, disconnected. But I think step one has just been like make sure that we have you know first party um, first party options for migration. And then the next step is we're going to sort of try to tie those together in a, in a coherent, coherent whole. Um, but, uh, you know, I think we do see, you know, we do see a lot of migrations from, from other on-prem, on-prem data warehouses, and even, even a decent amount from other, other cloud data warehouses, cloud data warehouses often, you know, the migration is faster because people have already kind of already come to terms with what it means to be in the cloud. You know, some of the on-prem to cloud migration is just getting people, getting people comfortable with, with storing their data in the cloud and the cloud security controls and, um, you know, so like, you know, for example, HSBC, uh, you know, they are in the middle of a kind of a long migration process to us, and one of the reasons this taken so long is because they've had to work with the regula- regulators to basically say, okay, this is, um, you know, this is safe, it's okay to use, you know, this security is good enough for um, you know, for storing um, unmasked data in the cloud, and they've gotten a lot of the European regulators to to agree to that. Um, but it can just sometimes take take a while, and just sometimes it takes sometimes it takes people a while just to be, you know, internally comfortable with um, with kind of the level of security and controls that you get in the cloud. And you know, some of it's a little bit of a loss of control. It's like, oh well, somebody else, you know, if somebody else screws up, then then it, it impacts me. Um, but on the other hand, like, you know, we have, you know, I can guarantee that we have more, you know, security and network security people and physical security people on staff than, you know, virtually, virtually anybody. And we treat this, you know, we treat people's security and privacy as, you know, incredibly important because it's, you know, if we don't, then, you know, if we screw it up, then it can be the end of our, of our business. Yeah, exactly. Um, I always used to say that, that security, people saying security was issue about cloud was, was 
bit of an excuse, you know, it was, it was because of other reasons and so on. And security suddenly then didn't become an issue when, uh, when, when kind of flexibility and, and price and so on, you know, was, was so obviously sort of better in the cloud. Um, and uh, yeah, it's interesting to say about banking and, and those kind of clients, because I suppose the perception of BigQuery is, is it's very much for, I suppose, kind of cloud native, you know, maybe sort of like you know, uh, web native companies. But you say banks like HSBC are using it now as well. Yeah, so I mean that was um, something interesting at uh, at you know Google Cloud Next that was just uh, was just last week. There was a real kind of uh, phase change in the in the types of of uh, of organizations that we were that we were talking to, and it was a lot fewer. They were quite boring, weren't they? If anything, <laughs> <laughs> but rather than being, I suppose, the hot new internet companies, you say it was very normal kind of um, household name company. Yeah, no, they were. It was it was fantastic. I don't want. I don't. You know. I don't want to. You know, use anybody's name who's not who hasn't agreed to be a referenceable customer yet. But um, you know, lots of lots of lots of big names um, and um, and people that you know. They just they know that they know that cloud is important. They they don't want to have to manage their own. You know, build their own software infrastructure, and they want to be able to focus on on you know getting. You know, analysis results rather than like than running servers, and so you know they're they're coming coming to us and talking to us, and um, yeah, I think we, we've we've had some really good good success so far. Interesting. I mean, just one last question on the migration side. How much is? I mean, have you ever thought about stored procedures? I mean, obviously, we come from the Oracle world. That was a massive, massive part of what we used to do. Uh, I guess it's more from the transactional side. But have you ever thought about? I suppose store procedures in the database and business logic in the database. So absolutely, you know, I think um, our general policies. We don't talk about stuff that's coming down the, coming down the pipeline, but this this one is this one is in alpha already. So I will, you know, I will I will confirm that yes, um, you know, yes, stored procedures are are going to be a thing. Interesting. I had no idea. So that's uh, that's very <laughs> and, and and one of the drivers of that is you know as as you mentioned is migration. So like people have their 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 giant scripts that they've run somewhere else and like you know does create um, create temporary table and has some loops and some you know variables and like and you know used to be or currently part of the migration process you have to split those up into individual query statements and it's super painful and so you know we also have uh, you know so we'll we'll be able to have stored procedures and so you basically can just run that whole thing you might have to you know we're following the ANSI standard as much as possible um, but you know. Every every database engine has their own their own quirks, so you may have to, to to tweak it a little bit, but at least you don't have to like do major surgery. Okay, interesting. So let's move on then to to, to Google Next nineteen. So there's some fantastic things that were announced last week. Maybe just talk about um, Google Google BI engine. What is that, and how, and and what's it? What problem is it trying to solve? Sure. So uh, the, I think the problem it's trying to solve is that um, you know the BigQuery. You know, a lot of our customers. Um, you know they have they have their data in BigQuery and they want to they want to build dashboards based on based on the BigQuery data, and you know the dash you know when you load a dashboard it might it might um, might do ten queries because each each one of the little widgets is a is a is a query and then you might have a whole bunch of uh, a whole bunch of users and kind of when you do this it um, it can you know it can be slow, you know you you really want this whole page to to render in less than a second, and so um, you know one of our Kind of lead engineers um, who has worked on you know BI stuff in the past. He's like, you know, I know how we can do this better. We can build this in memory, um, you know, OLAP engine effectively, and do these really fast scans. And we can we can build it right on top of BigQuery so that 
um, the data is all backed by by BigQuery. In case we miss the cache, you know, you're always going to get the correct data, but we can generally do you know do things. You know, instead of getting results in seconds, we get results in tens of milliseconds. Um, and so that's really the goal of the BI engine is to, you know, sub hundred millisecond queries, um, high concurrency. Um, you know, we don't, our billing model is different for that. We only charge for the memory that you have rather than the bytes scanned in the query. So that if you're using it, you, uh, you know, you can have a hundred concurrent users or a thousand concurrent users and they're all, they're all running, you know, dozens of queries and you're not necessarily worried about, you know, they're running up a, uh, a huge, a huge bill. So it's super powerful. It's current. It's currently tied to to um, um, uh, Data Studio. Data Studio. Sorry, I was. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I tried to use it with Looker the other day, and I saw there was. What, what, so why is that? What, what's it? What does it do? What does Data Studio do, or the connection do that means it only works with that for the time being? So we have a separate. It's a separate API currently. That's a separate kind of low latency API that skips a lot of kind of the some of the stuff that our current asynchronous API has to has to do. And it's also, you know, is tuned for kind of BI style style queries. Um, so there's no SQL parsing involved, et cetera. And um, you know, so you know, we've talked to we've talked to some of our, you know, the partners like Looker and Tableau and um, and so they're they are going to wait until we have a version that operates over SQL. So this will be this, you know, the, the BI engine, you know, uh, you know, memory cache, uh, adaptive cache will be available to all SQL queries, um, but is not available yet. Okay. Okay. So you say adaptive cache down. I, I'm, I'm used to, I suppose I'm used to two ways of doing this. One is one thing we tried to do in the old role was we looked at maybe using Druid on top of uh, a BigQuery, and, and that would be a case of loading up the Druid cache, and then it, once it's in there, it's fast and and, and so on. I mean, how, how I suppose first of all, how conceptually similar is that to what you're doing now? Yeah, presumably you have to load your cache up and and keep it in, keep it in in sync and so on. Um, so customers don't have to don't have to the load. So the like the first query. You know, we'll be. You know, we'll have to scan scan the underlying data, but that should load. That should load the cache, and um, and if the cache gets full, basically it's not an LR, not necessarily an LRU. We kind of we apply a bunch of heuristics to figure out what the best stuff to to cache is, and so we won't necessarily cache a full table. We'll only cache the columns and the partitions um, that are that are being used. So you can you can use it over a you know a large table. If you have, let's say you have ten gigs of of BI engine memory. Uh, and you might have a hundred gigabyte table. Um, you know, you might you it, it should all it'll likely all fit because you know a it's sort of compressed size. B you know only the columns that you use. C only the partitions that you use go in the go in the cache. Um, so we don't currently have a way to pin data into the cache. Um, you know we're, we we want to see how well how well this um, you know how well we can figure out things automatically. Um, but if you know we may end up we may end up uh, with the ability to just for people to say, "Hey, I want, I really want this to be to be in the cache, no matter what." Okay, okay. And you mentioned the other way I've seen this being done is is um, through. You, know, you mentioned OLAP servers, and and obviously they've got the ability to kind of pre-compute aggregates and 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 you know work through hierarchies and so on in a certain way. Is there anything in the product at the moment or in the pipeline to help with, I suppose, aggregation of data as well? Um, not necessarily. Um, no, so the you know basically the the way we're just approaching that is that that our BI engine is so fast that it'll effectively 
lets you, you know, build these aggregate, aggregations um, and kind of OLAP, um, uh, OLAP aggregations uh, very fast. So what about um, another, I mentioned indexes to you, the other, the other kind of side of that horror story of, uh, of optimization is, is materialized views mm-hmm. and query write and so on. I mean, again, has that been, and the context of this has been, you know, when I used to build Looker dashboards, sometimes I used to think it was so handy if I could just pre-compute some aggregates and have the database rewrite <laughs> the query to use the aggregates. I mean, again, is that something that's been thought about with BigQuery? Um, you know, I, again, we don't want to like, I don't want to pre-release anything, but, <laughs> but I, I would say that's something that we've thought about. Okay. That's good. So, so what about, I mean, obviously, you know, a big free, when we used to use BigQuery in my previous role, it was to receive streaming data via PubSub. Um, and it was, you know, it was a huge amount of data coming in in real time. You know, is, is, mm-hmm. is BI engine part of that story around, around, uh, real-time analytics and real-time data ingestion, or is it very much sort of separate or, or what really? Absolutely. So actually one of the, one of the goals of BI engine um, and it's not necessarily tied up to it yet, but it, it will be, is, is if you're running, if you're streaming data into BigQuery, you may be streaming in at a very high rate, you know, gigabytes per second, and you run like a BI engine query, is like the, what you show in BI engine should be A, it'd be A, you know, queries in tens of milliseconds, and B, it should have, you know, up to the second, uh, up to the second results. Um, because you know, part of part of the advantage or part of the reasons you want to have these dashboards is you want to be able to, you know, make decisions based on based on what's happening now. Like somebody, um, you know, I was um, talking with uh, a customer who, um, you know, oversees a, a railroad system and wanted to know what is happening right now. And like, and that's a que- that's a question that like traditional data warehouses they just can't answer. And, um, and you know, what is, what's going on in my sort of this IOT network, what's, what's happening, what's happening right now. And, and I think that in order to, to do that kind of, yes, the real time, real time analysis is super important. And that has to go all the way through the, all the way through the tool chain from, you know, where, how the data is being, how the data is being generated, you know, it shouldn't be, you know, buffered and batched um, to, to like how it's how it's represented in the in the data warehouse, and I think that at uh, oh sorry, so I think at, you know I think one of the things I think one of our the areas of real differentiation in BigQuery that we're pushing on is sort of this real time real time data warehousing and um, real time decision making, and it's and it's kind of related to um, you know some of the stuff in Dataflow as well, like Dataflow. Um, cloud Dataflow, which is um, kind of our, our managed uh, managed data pipelines tool, uh, is is that in Dataflow, you know, batch and query are sort of two sides of the same coin. Sorry, batch and, and streaming are two sides of the same coin. So, um, you know, you can you can do a you can do turn a batch into a stream just by changing one one parameter, and um, and that's super powerful. And they they've, they're arguing that um, you know that the the, uh, the kind of the architects of, of Dataflow and, and Apache Beam are arguing that you know while most people think that uh, streaming is a special case of batch, you know they believe that you know it's as the batch size goes to one, then then you get a stream. Um, it's actually sort of the opposite: is that batch is a special case of streaming because if you think about the stream or you know the, the batches, like say you have daily batches, well that's just a windowing strategy. That's just sort of like the window I have on my stream is sort of the daily batch. But you could easily have a sliding window. You could have you know late arriving data that gets applied to the window. Like 
um, you know, kind of once you see them as sort of two sides of the, or once you see the sort of batch as part of streaming, then it kind of opens you up to um, lots of different ways of, of, um, of representing your data and processing your data. And so we kind of want to take that end to end with, with our data analysis products. So from, from um, data flow streaming to, to BigQuery, we want to have a really nice kind of uh, streaming, uh, streaming system that it sort of operates in, in lockstep and then virtually any scale. So in, the, in my next um, GCP Next talk uh, last, or last week, I showed off a data flow pipeline that was processing data at, um, or they're sending BigQuery uh, 22 gigabytes per second, um, which is like, I think it's about uh, almost two petabytes of data per day. Um, and then, you know, BigQuery was processing it and then you could run a query over it and the query, so I did an, I injected a row, um, I was simulating a sensor network. And so I injected a row of like a bad sensor and I showed in a query that that shows up immediately. So like, um, I think it's a really powerful area and um, I think more, it's going to become more, more, more important in the future as people, as people start to leverage the value of, of this data that's being generated over time, like all, all data really starts with an event. And so those events can be processed as a, as a stream. Anyway, sorry for the rant. It's something that I, I I'm, I'm excited about. And it's very interesting. One thing that actually, another announcement you made, or it's made at next, actually it's a bit of a kind of blast from the past really. And it was the, um, the big query storage APIs. And, and I remember one of the first things that was very interesting about Hadoop was this idea you could have, you separated your query engine, you know, your workload effectively from the storage, and you could run all different types of uh, query, like graph queries or SQL queries on top of Hadoop storage. And then I noticed that you've got the storage APIs being announced, which seems to me it was about, again, running different workloads on BigQuery storage. I mean, what was the thinking behind that? And what was the driver behind you know, releasing that feature? So there's a lot of people that are doing, you know, data lakes these days where they have, you know, they store their data in object store in Parquet files or ORC files, and they, they run Spark jobs and they run, um, you know, uh, Hive jobs over that, over that data. Um, and the problem about that is that like, you know, you know, is that parquet files are difficult to manage. And so you have to like, you know, where don't I store this data? What, what's in it? What's the schema? Um, how do I, how do I make, how do I make sure that the, um, the access control is set, is set correctly? Um, how do I make sure that it's optimized? So in general, like general data comes in over time. And when data comes in over time, there's a tendency if you want faster, access more real-time access to the data you end up with smaller and smaller files and so you have smaller and smaller files then you have more files and then and then it's much less efficient to query sort of the the small files problem and i think you know like uh databricks delta is is trying to solve solve some of this this problem and so when you have an actively managed storage system you get a lot of a lot of benefits from performance you get benefits from consistency because you actually get atomicity of changes to the data like let's say you want to delete one row out of out of a table, um, you know, basically involves a file, you know, because files in object stores are generally immutable, so it involves a file creation and a file deletion. So, you know, there's a there's an inconsistent period. Whereas if you if you're in a managed storage system, you can provide a facade that says, you know, I only want to see, I want to see the exact version of the data now or at, you know or at some time in the past. So you know, BigQuery has you know what I think is is a um, a really, you know, top-notch managed managed storage system with lots of features like, you know, like DML, like automatic um, kind of data uh, coalescing and 
um, and optimization. So, um, you know, what the storage API does, it sort of gives you, if you have sort of a data lake paradigm where you have, you know, you're running from multiple different types of tools, it lets you kind of operate over the BigQuery data as if it's your data lake. And so it allows you to do some of the same types of things where you have like filter pushdowns, um, you know, column projections. So you don't actually have to sort of read all of the data in, um, but also, you know, manages manages data governance, manages you know performance um, uh, at the at the same time. So I'm actually super excited about the the uh, the, the storage API because I think that it 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 really kind of turns the it turns the data lake idea upside down instead of like the, you know, because one of the things that people don't want to do is they don't want to manage, they don't want to have to pay twice for their data. They don't want to have to store their data in their data lake and their data warehouse um, in different copies. They have to worry about synchronization and access control, you know, drift. Um, this lets you store one copy of the data in your data warehouse where you can actively manage it and then um, operate over it at full speed. You know, if you're using Spark, Spark ML, uh, Hive, etc. Interesting. So another another announcement was around BigQuery ML, and I mean I've been using BigQuery ML myself to do things like basic logistic regressions and and, and so on. And, and again, the thing that's been interesting with it is how easy it is how how easy it's been to use compared to other solutions I've seen in the past for doing I suppose stats analysis and machine learning in the, the database. I mean, for anybody who doesn't know what BigQuery ML is, maybe just kind of recap on what it is, and then what was announced at at, uh, at Next Nineteen. Sure. So it's BigQuery ML is um, is you know machine learning machine learning in the database. Um, so you know you know as I mentioned before, like you know you want to move the compute to the data rather than the data to the compute. It's like it's you know being able to to do machine learning without having to move the data, and um, and with the convenience of of, uh, of SQL access. So you run a you run a query that looks just like a normal SQL query to, to train a model. So instead of running create table as select, you run create model as select, and you tell it which which uh, um, which model type you want to run, and it'll build your machine learning model. And so the output of that will be that the model it creates will be a model that you can then reference in another query. And so then when you when you predict or you infer based on that model, you can just it's just another it's a SQL function. It's a table valued SQL function. Um, that you can that you can operate on um, as if it was just sort of a normal a normal function. So it's really powerful. Um, the it had been limited, however, to two two model types: uh, logistic and linear regression, um, which you know were you know operated really well at high scale. Um, but many people said that they wanted other model types. So so we're we've launched um, matrix factorization. Matrix factorization lets you do kind of recommender systems. Um, we launched um, uh, what was the other one? Um, I think it's K-means clustering. You was oh, in yes. there as well. K-means clustering is now in is now in beta. Thank you. And we've got a couple more in alpha. Like so, an alpha is being able to do you know build neural networks, um, and that one is interesting because it's really the first that ties it to cloud machine learning engine. Basically, we, we now have kind of a commitment to, you know, between our, our team and the cloud AI team is that basically everything you can do in cloud AI uh, and machine learning is we're going to be able to do through BQML. So I think this is really going to be our, you know, a, a portal um, for, you know, for structured data analysis uh, to, um, to machine learning. 
So, um, so just the last thing I want to talk about is in new features uh, um, that were launched last week was um, maybe not it's data, data transfer connectors. So there was a bunch of um, partners you now have offering services on the Google Cloud Marketplace. So Five Trans Supermetrics. Um, what, what is that all about, really? And what, what again? What problem is that solving? And what features does that add to, uh, to BigQuery? Um, so it's it's really about I mean being able to get data into the database more more efficiently or to the data warehouse more more efficiently. Um, and so you know we announced the uh, you know so we we have built a um, a connector that allows um, allows anybody to to build um, to build uh, to build connectors for to, to get data in through through BigQuery and then to to resell that resell that data. So um, you know, Fivetran was the one the first one we've we've announced um, that uh, is uh, you know so you can basically with a few clicks you can you can um, you know you can import data from. Uh, I think it was a hundred different different sources, and you know, including you know, Salesforce data, a um, bunch of other bunch of other data locations. Um, so you know, it's just really about you know, people have data in other data sources, in other data, you know, that's sort of locked up in other um, other uh, other tools, you know, SaaS uh, applications, services, um, and we want to be able to pull that data out because there's sort of a there's a value in 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 you know joining that data with your with your other data and sort of centralizing the data in the data warehouse okay okay and and, and i mean the, the good i suppose again one last thing so it was the fusion data product so again i was interested to see it's it's a, a kind of point and click data integration product that and you say actually google have bought the company behind it i mean is there anything you can talk about that at all is it is it a product you're yeah so data of? fusion is um is a it's a really really convenient um uh and easy to use tool that that kind of lets you uh, just sort of drag and drop you know you can select your source data data service um, select your destination data service which you know hopefully will be bigquery but it could be anything really and um, and you know click a button and it'll generate a, uh, a it'll generate a uh, Google data proc job which is actually a spark job under the covers and it'll run that um, run that job with the schedule and um, and you know do the uh, do the data migration. You can also specify transformations and schema schema changes. Um, and it's got a lot of. We actually for the beta we turned off a lot of the features that were in the underlying um, uh, underlying service that we you know that we bought. Um, but you know expect to see a lot a lot of interesting things coming from that in the uh, in the next few months. Okay. Okay. And I think going back to your point about lots of products, lots of projects kind of being invested in and then see which one is the one that succeeds. I mean, I know there's, I think I've used in the past, there's obviously the, the trifactor um, sort of service that's, that's on Google cloud and there's uh, airflow as well. I mean, is, is there a particular, I suppose it's different, I suppose it's different tools to different kind of jobs really, but is there a particular technology that your product that you guys are investing in, which is the go-to thing for data integration on BigQuery, or is it really all of them in different cases? So I think, so data fusion, I think is, is really our, our, is the one that we are, we are betting on the, um, you know, this is the one that's going to be our kind of data integration tool of, of record. We're not going to, you know, shut any of the other things down or, or even stop investing in them. But, but like, this is what we see as kind of going to be our marquee thing going forward. And I think data, you know, composer, which is our managed airflow, yeah. um, is very is very different, and so that has a, you know, a, um, 
perhaps slightly overlap, overlapping use cases, but you know, requires a lot more kind of understanding of what you're doing. And so I think if for most people that are gonna, they wanna pull data from one location um, or even do CDC, like the, um, the, uh, the way we are going to recommend is, is, through, is through Fusion. Okay, fantastic. And one last thing, um, you've written a book recently. So uh, what, what's that and what's that? About? Well, I guess what it's about actually, but it's, uh, tell us about the book you've written and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and your co-author as well. Yeah, so it's, um, the book is, is in progress. Um, we have it, it's in sort of early, early release. I think we've got actually just today, two more chapters were launched into the, into the early, early release. So we have now five, five chapters. And um, yeah, I mean, this is, this is, you know, I think it's called BigQuery, the definitive guide. And, you know, the idea is this is sort of what, what BigQuery is and how, how to use it. Um, I wrote a book five years ago, um, which, was, which was the first book on, on BigQuery. And it's horrendously out of date now. And, like, and um, I, it's still for sale. So I think people are, people are still buying it, which I feel really bad because it's t- giving them like, giving them bad ideas and bad, bad impression um, about what BigQuery can do and what it can't do. So um, I think that's one of the that's you know one of the rationales behind this new book is sort of like, hey, this is this is what BigQuery can do now. Um, you know, BigQuery is now a fully featured data warehouse that can do all these all these other all these other additional things. And um, yeah, and so my my co-author um, uh, Locke, um, his. I have a hard time pronouncing his name as like uh, his his full name, but uh, everybody calls him Locke at Google. Um, but he's he's an absolute machine. He just like turns out turns out pages, and um, you know he's been really instrumental in sort of making making this book happen. And and um, and you know I've been a large, largely so far been along been along for the ride, uh, and he's been the kind of the, the the driving engine of that. But he also runs a lot of our. Our training programs at uh, at Google and has um, uh, you know has another book I think on um, on machine learning with uh, with GCP. Fantastic! Well, that'll be my uh, presents for the family and, uh, and kids <laughs> over there, for Christmas anyway this year. So uh, that'll be uh, that'll be excellent. So so how just to kind of round things up, how do people find out about these new new product features that came out recently? Have they maybe see some of the videos and, and and presentations that you did last week? I mean, where do people go to for that? Um, yeah, I mean, so the the Google Cloud Next um, videos are all up on YouTube. There's a spotlight session that has a good a good highlight uh, from you know all the data analytics uh, features. Uh, that were released. Um, you know, my my session on modern data warehousing, I think, gives a good overview of all of the uh, of all the things that were going on in BigQuery. Just to <laughs> plug my own session, but um, you know, I think we do have uh, you know we do have release notes and ways that you can keep up to date with uh, with the things that are that are coming out. And one of the problems that you know sometimes we find is that um, you know we don't do a great enough job of just sort of like of shouting from the rooftops when we make improvements. And so sometimes we talk to customers, even really good customers and they're like, well, I'm doing this because to work around this, this problem. And we're like, well, we, we fixed that problem like a year ago. Uh, and, um, or we've added this new feature a year ago and they hadn't, haven't started using it, but you know, if, if it's working for them, that's fine. Um, but if they have to do kind of unnatural things um, to not use it, then that's, um, you know, that's not as, not as fine, but. 
Fantastic. Well, look, um, Jordan, it's been fantastic speaking to you, and uh, I really appreciate the detail you've gone into there with uh, with how the product works and, and and what's come out recently as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, all I can say it's the database that I use day to day. So uh, and uh, yeah, it's fantastic. It's great to speak to one of the people behind it. So, Jordan, thank you very much for coming on the show, and uh, appreciate that. And have a good rest of the day. Well, thanks. Thanks for your time. This has been fun. <laughs>